0: Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Revan Kusler coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center. The podcast you're about to hear is the talk I gave to the UCLA Buddhist Club, and the title of the talk was Walking Meditation. Hope you find it interesting, hope you find it useful. Without further introduction, my talk to the UCLA Buddhist Club on walking meditation. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about walking meditation tonight. Even though we're not going to do that. But I'm going to talk about it because last week I mentioned I was invited to lead walking meditation over the weekend. Uh, so people got together and they had something called Change of Heart Weekend. And this happened in Long Beach. It actually happened at a campfire girls' campground, which uh, they allowed them to use. And most of the people were high school students. There were some college students, and there were some older folks like myself there as well. Now, I just went to visit, and then I left, but it went during the whole weekend. And what the Change of Heart weekend was about was to feel, to have the experience of being homeless. And so what they did is they brought a, a lot of cardboard boxes with them, and they made cardboard box city. And they all slept in the cardboard boxes. And then they ate the typical food that would be given to homeless people when they go to churches or, you know, shelters. And a lot of the food is uh, stuff in cans with far too much salt and sugar. And so they really just sort of, you know, dove in during those two days during the weekend they invited people to come and and share and do workshops with them. They had a writing workshop, they had a drawing workshop, they had uh, a woman who had AIDS talk about how it feels to have AIDS and and live in the world and live in community and and so they had a lot of people coming in uh, working with them, raising their awareness in many different ways. So I was invited to go on Sunday and, and work with them on a walking meditation. Well, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, you know, uh, because I don't do a whole lot of walking meditation myself. And and so I um, reread a couple articles, one of them by Hung Sher, Venerable Hung Sher, and I listened to an uh, MP3 file by Gil Franzdale from Northern California, and then I decided to go down and just see what's going to happen. So I went down, and what they had done is they had set up a nice little pathway. And they had these big uh, place cards on a stick, and they had some sayings that Thich Nhat Hanh had said. And and what, what they envisioned was this, that we were going to sort of line up and sort of walk along this path, and every so often just sort of stop and read one of the place cards and reflect on the quality of what was being written and said and how it applied to our life and the world around us and how wonderful all things were. And then we go to the next one, and we stop, and we read that. And so I said, well, no, no. I said, let's not do that today. You can do that later. I said, why don't you do that later when I'm not here? But I want to show you, or at least talk to you about how to do walking meditation in the more traditional way, the more the Theravada way. And in the Theravada tradition, they don't follow each other. They have their own path. And if you're a forest monk... You would have a little cootie, a little house that you'd live in, a small little house. And in front of your cootie would be maybe a, a walkway, a dirt walkway, about 40 paces, about 40 feet long, three or four feet wide. And that would be your walking meditation path. And you'd start at one end, and you'd walk, and then you'd turn around and walk back, and then you'd walk back, and you'd do that for 40, 45 minutes, just back and forth, back and forth. And then you go back into your cootie, and you sit for 45 minutes. And you come back out, and you do walking again. Now, in the Zen tradition, sometimes, if you're on a treat, what they have something called kinkin, kin, kin kin, which is sort of fast walking. That's what I experience. And you sort of line up, and you sort of fast walk. And that gets the blood going, and respiration increases, and your legs were tingling because the blood had stopped, and now they're full with blood, and you feel good and rejuvenated. Now you go back to sit another Yeah, three hours, you know. So there was a little bit of resistance because they had imagined what walking meditation was going to be like. It was going to be pleasant. And it was going to be nice. And it would be a chance to think about things and look around. And they said, no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to practice alone together. We're all going to line up in a big line. And there were like 28, 30 of us. So we all lined up and it was in a park so we had plenty of room. But it's very uneven. There were little, you know, gopher holes and little bushes and little trees and a little fire pit here, and a, you know. And so, so we all lined up, and I gave instructions. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to walk from here about 40 paces, about 40 feet, and then we're going to stop, and then we're turn around and walk about 40 paces back, and then we're going to go 40 paces, 40 paces. They said, well, what do we think about? What are we supposed to do? How do we keep track? I said, well, there are a couple of ways we can do this. The first thing we can do is we can count each step. So we have one, two, three, four, up to 40. Almost as if, if we were sitting down. We're going, to, we're going to count our breaths up to 40. Inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four. So we're going to go one, two, up to 40. And then we're going to turn and we're going to take a moment, take a breath. And then we can go back, 1, two, three, four, 40. They said, well, how fast do we go? Are we going to be walking fast? Or do we walk slow? Are we supposed to be really concerned about each step? Or, and I said to them, well, what we need to do, if we want to do this correctly, is we need to find what's comfortable for us. Now, some people find it more comfortable to walk quickly. They have places to go and things to do. Of course, the catch with walking meditation is we have no place to go and we have nothing to do. So do we walk quickly or do we walk really slow? And how does that feel? <clears throat> well, sometimes if you walk really slow, it feels holy. You know, you just sort of vroom, vroom. And you're just majestic in the way you're walking one foot in front of the other. You know, and but is that comfortable for you? Or do you have your own pace inside someplace that feels comfortable? And have you ever tried to find that place? How fast you should walk, how slow you should walk? So <clears throat> they said, Well, we're gonna have to walk the way we want to walk, each one of us. Now, because we have different lengths of each step, some people 40 paces were shorter, some people 40 paces longer. So how far are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to go as far as the farthest person? Are we supposed to go as close as the closest person? Well, I said to them, what feels comfortable? what you're going to be doing in this walking meditation is you're going to be looking inside rather than outside and forty paces may be too far for you maybe thirty paces is better now would you feel comfortable only walking thirty paces if everybody else is walking forty would you feel that you were doing it wrong? Well. With those sort of abstract instructions, we all lined up and we decided to walk our 40 paces. Now, I gave them a couple options. I said, after you've done 40 a couple times, if you want to count each footstep, then you can just simply go stepping, 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 stepping. Or you can go left, right, left, right, left, right. In the same way, when we count our breath, We attach a concept to the sensation of breath. We're attaching the concept of left or right to the sensation of our foot touching the ground. And as I've spoken about before, if we are aware of a physical sensation, that physical sensation is occurring right now. So when our foot touches the ground, that sensation of the foot touching the ground is happening right now. That's bringing our mind to the present moment experience of our life. Now, what happens if you go left, right, left, right, and all of a sudden you end up going left as your right foot hits the ground and going right as your left foot hits the ground? Well, in breathing meditation, we've all started to count our breath and realized we've lost count or we've gone too far or not far enough. And it simply means we weren't paying enough attention. So we weren't mindful and we needed to come back. So I said, if you lost track of left, right, left, right, simply stop, take a breath, and start again. From right where you started, or right from right where you stopped. Left, right, left, right, left, right. So we did that for about 20 minutes. And as it turned out, everybody had their own little way of doing it. Some people went really far. Some people got confused when the tree was in front of them. They didn't know whether should they should go around it or should just stop and turn and come back. And so we were all struggling to do this walking meditation correctly. And then at the end of our walking meditation, we all got in a big circle. We, we stood around a fire pit, even though there wasn't a fire in it. And, we, and I said, okay, this was my experience. And I shared my experience. And I said, let's go around the circle. And everybody, if they want to, please share your experience. Now, a lot of the high school girls felt uncomfortable speaking about their experience, so they didn't. But most of us spoke a little bit about the experience. And it was just, for me, a wonderful way to share the human experience, not only our own experience. So one person said, well, you know, I didn't hear Kusala, I didn't hear you say all the instructions as clearly as I wanted to. So I wasn't quite sure on what I was supposed to do. So what I did is I looked at my friend who has meditated longer than I have, and I was going to follow her and see what she was doing to make sure I was doing it right. But then she was walking really, really fast, and I didn't want to walk that fast. So I decided to look for some other people, and then other people were walking too slow, and I just decided to walk at the pace I wanted to walk, whether it was right or wrong. I said, mm, okay. And there was another woman who said, you know, my job is, consists of planning. I sometimes have to plan a week or two weeks in advance. So I'm always out in the future. My mind is very rarely here. And I found myself thinking about what I'm going to do when I got to the end of my 40 paces. Do I turn around to the left? Do I turn around to the right? Do I take a big breath or a small breath when I stand there? And she said, I, I didn't realize how hard it was to simply just be in the present moment with each footstep because my mind kept wanting to go into the future. Another person said, this traffic noise really bothered me because the park was right next to, I think, Carson Street or something, it was a rather large street and there were cars going back and forth, back and forth, even though there was like a line of trees between us and the cars, but you could hear them clearly. And he was saying, I, you know, it was really hard because I kept getting distracted. I, was, I wished, at one point, I wished that the cars weren't there. Because if the cars weren't there, I could really, really pay attention to each step. I said, okay. Another person said, it, at one point I had to put my feet really firmly on the ground, right? One, two... Three, because I couldn't feel my foot touching the ground between my shoe. I could feel my shoe, but I really couldn't feel the pressure of the ground against the shoe. And I wanted to feel it clearly. So what I started to do was sort of almost stomp my feet. Stomp. Stomp. So I could really get that feeling. Ah, cool. A guy said, another guy said, he said, you know, at one point I felt like I was climbing a mountain. And if anybody's ever climbed up an incline, whether it be a hill or a mountain, you realize you sort of start off, and you look around, and you're seeing the scenery and the birds and the, this, the, the sky with the clouds, the fluffy clouds floating in the sky, and you're climbing up the mountain. And all of a sudden, you, you start to breathe a little heavier now. And each foot gets a little bit heavier, the left foot, right foot. And now, rather than sort of looking around, your attention is sort of drawn about four feet in front of you. And there's a lot of effort now. And the incline might even be getting greater and greater. And now you really have to think about using your muscles. you know, And you don't want to step in any holes, and there might be uh, some loose gravel, and you don't want to slip down. So you're really sort of focused on what's right in front of you. And it, it, with all your fo- attention, you're just like plodding ahead. And you really start, huh, 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 And eventually, you're not even looking ahead of you. Eventually, you're just watching your own feet, right foot, left foot. And you don't know if there are clouds in the sky or not. You don't know if there are birds in the cl- sky or not. You don't know if, what trees are over there. You don't know anything because all you can see is each foot going up and going down, going up. And going down. It's total attention, total mindfulness of what you're doing. And he said at one point, I, I, I came there so naturally. I wasn't concerned about how far 40 paces was. At one point, I couldn't even hear the traffic any longer. All I was looking at was simply my feet rising and falling, rising and falling. And when he said that, it reminded me of a breathing meditation where you watch your abdomen rise and fall. Rather than feeling the sensation of breath going out and coming in, you simply feel the rising and falling of your abdomen. You die from going out. And I, and I saw how closely linked that was now to walking meditation. The rising and falling of each step. As it turned out, we all did it wrong. None of us did it the same way. We all started out together in a big line. But when I said, we're finished, it's over, let's gather in a circle, everybody was in a different place. And there was even a little group of three of the high school girls who ended up just talking to each other as they walked back and forth. Which is fine. But none of us did it right. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Isn't this just like community? We try so hard to live like other people live and sometimes forget there's an authenticity in our own life that's already built in. How do we need to live as individuals? What's our life about? Are we going to model it after the person to the right of us or the left of us? Are we going to model it uh, after the authority who tells us how it's supposed to be lived? Or perhaps are we going to, rather than looking outside to see how to live our life, look inside to see how to live our life? And I saw that confusion of outside, inside, as we all lined up. Because everybody was really concerned with the outside. And then as we progressed in our walking meditation, more and more of our attention shifted to the inside. Becoming aware of the inner process. Whatever that is for us at that moment. And I found myself at one point simply standing as I turn to walk back, and taking a couple deep breaths and, and feeling my lungs expand and contract, feeling my legs warm from the blood that was circulating faster than it had been the entire day up until that point, having a greater sense of clarity about each step as I took them. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if in our everyday life, when we get stressed out, you're going from between class or maybe it's time for lunch, wouldn't it be cool to simply do a walking meditation from the classroom to the place where you're going to eat lunch? Just become aware of each footstep as it hits the ground. Become aware of left and right, left and right. Let go of the future for a few moments. Let go of the past for a few moments. And come to the present moment experience of your life. Through walking mindfully. Feeling the connection to this earth as you make each step count. Instead of not even being aware that you're walking or stepping. Or what you're stepping on. So I see there's a very good place in Buddhism for walking meditation as well as sitting meditation. The Buddha said there were four postures we could take. The first posture was standing. The second posture was kneeling. third posture was sitting. And the fourth posture was lying. Well... If you've ever tried meditating while you're lying down, you realize it doesn't work very well because in about 20 minutes you're sound asleep. Kneeling works pretty good for devotion. And people will kneel in front of the Buddha or Kuan Yin. But kneeling for a long period of time can be very difficult. Sitting works well. Sitting is probably the most comfortable and stable position for a meditation practice. But walking is a wonderful supplement because that allows us to use some of the muscles and not lose our mindfulness. And as I was doing my research on walking meditation, I came across the fact that the very last person who achieved nirvana before the Buddha died achieved nirvana while doing walking meditation. Isn't that cool? Wow. So walking meditation is a good thing. One short story to tag that story with. I live in a meditation center that probably has 32 people living there. We all come from different backgrounds. Most people that live there aren't Buddhist, but they Enjoy, to a certain extent, living in community. You're not lonely if you live in a community, but you're challenged in many ways. And we have a, a, a new person who's trying to live in our community, and he's having a very, very difficult time. He can't figure it out. He can't get comfortable with the idea of living with people who see life perhaps a little differently than he does. He's a very intelligent fellow too. So he knows how it's supposed to be. And when you go into a community with a diverse population like the community I live in, it's never the way it's supposed to be. So he realizes if he wants to live here comfortably in this community, he's going to have to change the community. And he's had a few run-ins with some of the people that live in the community. And one of them was the, the residential manager. And he doesn't agree with how she's running the residential program. And if there would be some way to actually get rid of this person, then he could live there very comfortably. Because he sees this person as the primary obstacle to finding his comfort in our community. So he's created a petition, and he's passing it around. He wants other residents to sign it and take the petition to the abbess of the center and say, see? See how many people dislike this person? See what a poor job this person is doing? See how much better our community would be if we could get rid of this person? And he asked me if I'd sign it. And I said, no. And he was surprised because he had spoken to me at great length on various occasions about his discomfort in the community. And a lot of the things he said, I had to agree with him. I said, you know, you're absolutely right. This person has a lot of weaknesses and falls short in many different areas. But Kusla. I thought that meant that you'd back me up on this because you see the same thing I do. Why won't you sign this petition? And I said, I can't. I can't sign this petition. And that's all I said. And he walked away sort of disgruntled and shaking his head and probably thinking lesser of me because I didn't sign the petition. But the reason I didn't sign the petition was not because he was wrong. The reason I didn't sign the petition was anybody who comes to live in our community has to figure out for himself or herself how to live with the other people. If we changed each person every time somebody new came in, we would be in a constant state of turmoil and flux. We'd have to line up people to come in and run the residential program until somebody else didn't like them. And then we'd let them go, and then we'd have to get somebody else. And then somebody else would move in, we'd have to let them go. Sometimes we don't have the option of changing the people we live with. If you live in a dormitory or even an apartment house, there are most likely some people that you live with that you may not see eye to eye with. Some people that you live with may be obnoxious and just too loud or inconsiderate or stupid. And you think to yourself, gosh, I'm glad I only have to live here this semester because if it was any longer, I couldn't take it. Sometimes we really like the people we live with and we wish we could live with them our whole life. You know? And we can't do that either. If you really like your parents and and wish you could live with them your whole life, then you wouldn't have a life. They might be very happy that you didn't move out. They might be very happy to see you every day. But what about your life? And if you found somebody that you really loved and wanted to spend the rest of your life with and decided to get married and got a nice little house and you lived together for years and years and years, eventually one of you would have to die. Most likely you wouldn't die together unless it was in some accident. So now you'd have to end up living by yourself again. Isn't it interesting, people that live together a really long time, when one of the spouses dies, the other one dies in three or four or five months because they can't figure out how to live without that person. So it is very, very difficult to live in community. It is very difficult to walk in community because we keep looking on the outside as clues for clues on how to do it instead of looking on the inside. And the reason I didn't sign that petition was because I wanted him to look inside and stop looking outside and stop seeing all the reasons he couldn't live in community but start seeing some of the reasons why it would benefit him to live in community. A very famous teacher named Gurdjieff had a retreat center in France. And people would travel there from all over the world to spend time at his center and spend a lot of money too. And they had this one fellow there who made everybody nuts. He was so loud and he was obnoxious and he would just say what he thought And he would insult and make people feel so uncomfortable. And finally, there was an anarchy. The rest of the people said, we don't want our retreat to be like this. We're trying to look inside. We're trying to be better people. How can we do that with this guy here? And they said, you're going to have to leave. We can't. We can't stand you. None of us like you. You have to leave. Well, he finally figured out that he needed to go. So he, he took the train down the local train, to the train station so he could go back. And Gurdjieff met him at the train station and said, I will pay you. I will pay you to stay here. Don't leave. If you leave, these people will think their practice is okay. These people will think they accomplished something. You remind them that they still have work to do because they can't accept you exactly the way you are. And that's sort of what this guy is facing, too. He's looking at our community as a problem instead of as a solution. That if he can figure out how to live at IBMC, where I live, he can probably figure out how to live most anywhere, (laughs) because it's going to be easier than it is to live where I live. And I've lived there a long time. It's taken me a long time to adjust. We all have to figure it out. Well, that's it. That's the talk on walking meditation to the UCLA Buddhist Club. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. For more information on me, please go to kusala.info. kusal dot info. And for more information on Buddhism, visit my website, urbandharma.org. urbandharma.org. Until next time, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.